All right. Well, so anyway, if I say if I say something that's not in English, it's probably not the uh, the spirit speaking through me. It's probably just the fact that I've been sleep deprived for a few days. This is a great trip. Uh, I was I was excited to be able to go. All right. Well, we're going to get into second and third John tonight, and uh, this is an exciting week. We are finishing up our study of John's letters, heading into the book of Revelation that will finish out the year. And also this is our week of our annual fast. And so I feel like there's just a ton going on uh, right now that the, that the Lord is doing in our, in our midst. Um, I've been sort of, Emily and I have been sort of catching up on just meeting with people that we hadn't just sat down with outside of church or home group in a while. And Every area of our church that I touch on, I'm just sensing there's this real spirit of growth and deepening and maturity. And so I'm really thankful for um, God's faithfulness to us in these days. And I'm really looking forward to what he, uh, what he speaks to us during the fast. And I think there are a couple things in 2nd and 3rd John that uh, really set up the fast well. So... Um, Let's pray, and then uh, we'll we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Uh, Lord, again, that you first loved us. We we can't fathom that, God. And uh, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts tonight, that you would help us to grasp your word, that you would help us to hear your heart in the word, Father. Uh, Be real to us tonight in Scripture. Uh, anoint this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, these are great letters to read side by side uh, because they, they compare and contrast in a lot of ways. Uh, the first type of paper that I ever assign uh, at Mars Hill uh, outside of just a basic, you know, five-paragraph essay is a comparison and contrast paper. All right, it's an important thing to learn. You look at the differences and look at the similarities um, so I want to look at some of the comparisons and contrasts between 2nd and 3rd John. Um, the, the first letter, we could just look at the, the recipient. Um, we could look at the recipient in both letters. So the first one, it says, the elder, and that was John referring to himself by the title elder. The elder to the elect lady and her children. And uh, so on the, on the surface, you might think it's to some particular woman and her family. But when you, as you start reading the letter, it becomes apparent that this is actually a letter to a community. And then you get to the end of the letter and it says, the children of your elect sister greet you. And so what this is, is John speaking as part of one congregation to a, another congregation. So when we call ourselves sister churches with other churches here in town, there's some biblical precedent to that. Right? He's referring to a congregation as an elect lady. And he's saying, and your, the children of your sister um, greet you as well. So this is a letter to a congregation. And um, flip over to 3 John. It says, the elder to the beloved Gaius. So 3 John is a letter to a particular individual. All right. So there's one comparison slash contrast 
There are uh, some similarities in the content of the letter. Um, a similar salutation. Uh, in uh, Second John, he says, the, uh, the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but, but all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. You know, there's John's light and love uh, duo right there at the beginning. God is light, he is truth, and he is love. So he says this thing, he says something very similar in both letters. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. So he says, I I rejoice that you are walking in the truth. In 3 John, he says, in verse 3, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, that's a dense phrase. But what walking in the truth means in this context is that they are living lives, like John says in 1 John uh, 3.18. He says, little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. And remember, walking is different than what you say about yourself. The way that you walk is really how you live, right? It's not what you say about yourself. It's not what you wish that you did, but it's how you actually live. And he says, if you're walking in the truth, you are living right. Walking in the truth means walking in the reality of the new life, right? It means you are not walking around saying something about yourself that you're associated with Jesus, but your life doesn't really reflect it. So what does he mean that you're walking in truth? It means that that you're living according to the life of Jesus. You're living eternal life. And he says that is a cause for celebration. That is joyful. Remember the beginning of 1 John? He says, I'm writing these these things to you so that our joy could be complete. And here he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children the people that I care for, the people under my eldership are walking in the truth. That is what, that's John's deep heart for the people in his churches, that they would walk in the truth. Their lives wouldn't be a matter of talk. That wouldn't be a matter of word or talk, but lives of deed and of truth that look like Jesus. Whoever claims To live in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So he says that's, you know, I'm just touching base here. That's really the, the, the essence of his first letter. That we would walk in the truth. And he says, I'm, I'm glad to hear that some of you are doing it. But now the situation that he's addressing in each letter is a little bit different. But it's complementary. In the first letter... He says, but now there's some who aren't walking in the truth. And I want you to be careful. Don't let them tell you something. Don't let them deceive you with their words. If their lives don't really reflect the life, the real human life that Jesus lived. Right? Remember, he came in the flesh. 
And if you deny that he came in the flesh, your life is going to go in all sorts of different directions. Because you have no, you have no human template for life. But Jesus became the human template for life. And when you walk in, in, in that way, you are living life as it's meant to be lived. So he says, um, many deceivers. Well, here in 2 John, he, he fleshes out. Let me just read through it. He fleshes out what it means to walk in the truth. Uh, now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. It's another way of saying walking in the truth, loving one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now here's the reason that he's writing. He says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And again, that's at the heart of so um, so many derailments of life. When Jesus starts to kind of become this immaterial idea. Your life will go in all sorts of different directions, and you can, you can shape that idea according to your own desires, and that's idolatry, right? But when Jesus is there in the flesh, you can't change who he is, right? He's true, and you can't shape him. He's already been shaped, and he already has a form, and we need to behold that form and be transformed by it rather than keep Jesus at a distance, keep him as an idea, and be able to kind of project our own desires onto him and call it Jesus and make him into an idol. So he says, you got to watch yourselves. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, and I'm going to come back to that in a second, Does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So here's what he says. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into her house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So the situation is that there were people going around teaching things in the name of Jesus. And it it was kind of a problem. (laughs) Because it was kind of the Wild West of doctrine, right? And how do we know who's legitimate? You know, we can't, we can't do a background check. You know, there's no database of heretics and non-heretics. Uh, we can't pull up their Instagram and see if they've been up to shady things. We can't Facebook stalk them. Uh, how do we tell if someone is legitimate? And he says, well, you just have to bring it back to Jesus. Are they the kind of person that says, Jesus, the man Jesus, is it. It, He is what life is about. He is what God is about. And that is our message. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. God in the flesh. Messiah in the flesh. And the life he lived is the life by which we understand all things. So he says, if if that's not the center of anyone's teaching... Don't put them up in your house, right? Because people, preachers would come and they'd ask for, for, um, they'd ask for hospitality. And this was a time when, you know, the hotels, you couldn't really, you couldn't really go to a hotel. 
you know. Um, and the hotels that were there, you know, were, were sort of, a lot of them were, were houses of ill repute. And just, it was not it was <laughs> unsanitary, immoral, um, dangerous. And so Christians would go to look for other Christian homes uh, for hospitality. And so there was a lot of this happening. Uh, and then he says, he closes the letter, he says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather you not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. So I like this. This is the elder John saying, I'm not going to sit in my study and just write letters to y'all. I could do this all day. That's not going to. What I want to do is come and talk to you face to face. You know, I, I think there's something for us here in our digital age. You know, how much do we rely on media, any form of media to relate to one another? Uh, paper and pen is a media, right? It's a medium. And he says, I don't want to rely on a media between you and me. I want to come and talk to you face to face. So even paper and pen, you know, even old fashioned letter writing for John was, was not enough. It was flesh, flesh in front of flesh. You know, and this makes sense for someone who is preaching Jesus Christ in the flesh. Loving us in the flesh. Us loving one another in the flesh. In reality, in truth. All right, so third John. So he's talking to Gaius and he says, uh, similar salutation, prayer for blessings. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That's a good prayer to pray over one another. I like that one. It's a, it's a, I think it's kind of unique in Scripture. I don't know of another prayer that's exactly like that. So that's a good one to file away for praying for each other. Good health as it goes well with your soul. I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers Strangers as they are. He says, I, I see that you're, you're doing great offering hospitality. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. They have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So what's he saying here? He's not, he's not offering a caution against the, the bad strangers. He's offering a commendation of hosting the good strangers, the ones who are bringing the gospel of Jesus, the true gospel of Jesus. He says, I've written something to the church, and that might have been his first letter. We don't know. But he says, I wrote a letter to you guys, but I'm getting these reports that this guy, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. Ouch. (laughs) I mean... Surely this was a little bit of a stinging, if Diotrephes actually read this. I mean, this is a blatant call out. Sorry, Diotrephes, you made it into the Bible, but this is not how you want to make it into the Bible. He likes to put himself first. Just a, a, a one half of a sentence, just complete takedown. Does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come... I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. 
And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So you got Second uh, John, he's saying, get these guys out of here who, who aren't, they're bringing their own brand of message and it's, it's, it's kind of Jesus-y, but it's also not. Don't, don't waste time with those guys. Get them out of here. But then he comes right back and he says, Man, keep putting up these workers for the gospel. That's a great thing. And tell this Diotrephes guy, he just wants to kick everybody out. He's not happy. I mean, he must be a cranky deacon or something. You know, he just wants things his own way. Um, and he, he's like, tell him to loosen up a little. Right? We're not, we're not here to have a perfect little sealed off bubble. Like, that's, not, that's not what the gospel is about. Tell the atrophies to let these guys come, come to the church. Come into our homes. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He says, uh, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now we have Demetrius here. This is a good, a good shout out. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. So Demetrius high marks, you know, uh, checks all the boxes. Thumbs up, you know, five stars on Yelp. And then he says again, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. So it's interesting. The second letter is a much more personal, individual letter. The first one is a more communal letter. And see, he says, the elect sister and her children, us as a, us as a group and a family, you as a family, and we are part of the same family. And here he says, names, names. Here, Gaius and Diotrephes and Demetrius. And then he says, greet the friends each by name. Right? Communities have an identity in relation to one another, but individuals also have an identity in relation to each other. And both are crucial. You know, it's not, the, the church isn't just a nameless organization, but the church also isn't just unrelated individuals that aren't part of something larger than, than themselves. There's a good balance here that John, uh, whatever process by which these letters came into the canon... I think give us a great balance of life uh, in the church and among the churches. All right. All right, so what I want to focus on, and we're almost done. This is going to be pretty short tonight. Uh, What I want to focus on, and this is all in light of the fast coming this week. Uh, we are spending three days uh, seeking God, abstaining from food, abstaining from entertainment. And I, I do hope that uh, you all follow up in your home groups on the particulars. And if you're unfamiliar with how to fast or if it's new to you or if you don't know how you're going to participate or have your family participate, uh, please have a conversation with your home group leader uh, so that you don't just kind of wonder, am I doing it right? Uh, there's not really any way to do it wrong, so just... There's no, there's no pressure here. Um, the, the goal is to seek God 
and have that be our primary goal for three days. And to, uh, to do that with a greater intensity than we do in our normal life. Right? So that's, if you hear any other goal other than that, you know, send them out of your home. Don't welcome those people. Don't take part in their evil ways. <laughs> Uh, but go back to Second John, verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And John is cautioning them about people who go on ahead. Right? This is, I think, a, a, a great caution for us, both the world that we live in, the world that we find ourselves in, but also for us. So there are people, I mean, we live in a time where Christianity, a lot of people have called this a post-Christian age, meaning that we've left Christianity behind. Right? That was part of a bygone, antiquated, archaic age. Right? We have progressed, but anyone who actually studies history understands that we haven't really progressed in any meaningful way. I mean, we might know more about, like, we have a periodic table now of elements, uh, but we still kill each other. You know, so, so how do you define progress? Um, yeah, now we can do DNA testing for murders. You know, <laughs> okay. is that real progress? But the world that we live in idolizes progress. Progress, and part of the uh, part of the scrubbing clean of anything that has to do with Christianity and the, the anti-Christian. Uh, world that we live in, it wants to leave it behind, to go on away, to go on ahead from all of that stuff. Right? Can you hear what John is saying? Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide or remain or stay put. In the teaching of Christ... This means that as, as 20, in the 21st century, all of the forces, the cultural forces that want to push us ahead or forward or away from what happened 2,000 years ago are forces that we need to resist, are forces that are not from God, are forces that belong to those who do not have God. We need to say no to new ideas in a lot of ways. Now, I don't say that we think that we need to say no to all advancements. Right? There's something of God in the increase of knowledge and the increase in sophistication of how to live life, how to steward the earth. Right? We are called to take dominion, Right? And we are called to grow in our understanding of how to do that. But we are to grow in that 
by abiding in the teaching of Christ. Meaning that every advancement needs to happen in conjunction with God. So, in a, in a worldly sense, we need to resist the constant push to get over that God stuff. Get over the Jesus stuff. Let's move on already. The dark ages, you know. We're in the dark. And this has been going on since, since the 18th century. You know, this push toward greater knowledge and, and increasing secularism, okay? Rather than a, and a, just staying put and saying, no matter what happens, no matter what this age brings our way, the answer and the way of life is going to be firmly and wholly rooted in the teaching of Christ. Whatever, whatever happens. And so the second thing I want to say about this is that this is why we fast. We fast to resist the impulse that we have to somehow go on with our lives. All right, we've learned, yeah, we've become Christians. We've, we've turned to the faith. We've found a good church. And now we're just going to keep living our life. And what are we going to do this year? We want to pull all, everything back and say, well, whatever we do, we're going to abide in the teaching of Christ and not just go on ahead. And until we have a clear understanding of what it means, of what God would have us do in the coming year, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to just do stuff to do stuff. We're not going to make plans because you're supposed to make plans. We are going to abide in the teaching of Christ and wait and listen and clear the slate, clear the schedule, clear the to-do list, reset the priorities, say, who is Jesus? Who am I in light of that? And how can I walk in truth? What does that look like right now? Because we can just get so blinded. We can get so caught up in momentum and inertia. And the fast is a way to to put on the brakes and say, we're not going to just keep going. We're not going to just keep doing church. We're not going to just keep doing family. We're going to put everything at the feet of Jesus and say, what would you have us do? And submit ourselves and humble ourselves before him and ask him to order our lives. Now, I think for many of us, after the three days, our lives will look mostly the same. We might get some fresh insight into, well, I'm going to keep doing the same things, but this is why. And I know I I have a deeper understanding of how I'm raising my kids and why God wants me to do it that way. How I'm going to love my husband, how I'm going to love my wife, and why God, why that way pleases God. But that's how we need to approach the fast. By saying, 
We're not going to go on ahead. We are not going to go on ahead. It's like Moses who told God. He said, God said, go on ahead. <laughs> you know? Why don't you just go? Uh, clearly things aren't working out here. Just go on ahead and promise it. And Moses said, no. I'm not going to go on ahead unless you go with me. That's what our, that's what our cry is to God during the fast. We don't want to do anything. We don't want to continue doing anything for the sake of doing it. We want to abide in the teaching of Christ. And when we abide in the teaching of Christ, it says whoever abides in the teaching, we have both the Father and the Son. What does that mean? It means that we have fellowship. We have intimacy with God. We have life that is lived in fellowship with God. And so the life that we live reflects the fellowship of God. And what we do isn't just stuff. What we do is the kingdom. What we do is eternal life. The life that we live is the life of the age that is to come. So this is why we fast. We fast to, I'm just going to, I wrote this down. Um, We fast to cease anything in which we may be going on ahead. We even stop eating just to eat. Right? We stop everything. And eating's good. Eating is great. But that's why you fast. You you fast to, to make yourself halt. Don't just have another meal. Wait on God. We fast to stop charging forward without truly having deep fellowship with the Father at the center of all that we do. And we ask God, can we say, I long for more than anything is fellowship with you. And everything that I do, I want it to revolve around my relationship with you. And we pray that for ourselves. We pray that for our families. And we pray that for this church. And we pray it for our relationship with the other churches in the city. CF churches and even beyond that. What would you have us do? How would you have us live? And in theory, all bets are off during the fast. God could call us to do anything. And that's the kind of readiness and openness and anticipation that we should have. God could call us to some radically different things. Or God could say, amen, keep doing what you're doing. Let me tell you this one thing about what you're doing so that you can do it better. Right? Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. And this is a perfect tie-in as well to Revelation. Because the book of Revelation opens up with John addressing seven churches that are all in different places. And he says, let's, let's hold up your church to the life of Jesus and see what similarities there are and see what differences there are. And I need to tell you about the similarities, but I also need to tell you about the differences. All right, so this is what this, and he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
And that's our goal. That's our goal this week. To, as much as possible, have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Allow the light to shine on the good things, on the things that we might just as soon keep in the darkness. Allow the light to shine. Allow the Spirit to speak. And move forward, not in our own efforts, but move forward in fellowship with God, with the Son, uh, by the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, well, we don't just do that every year. Although we do take a, a three-day intensive period of time. Uh, we, we do this every week. Right? When we come to the table, it's a confession that we don't just want to go on ahead with life. We want to remember, right? Do this in remembrance of me. We don't come to the table to get all sorts of crazy ideas for the future. We come to the table to remind us that everything that we need to know has already happened. Everything that we need to see of God has already been shown. And living our lives is living rooted in that reality that has come. The life was manifest. We have seen him. We touched him. Past tense. And so we look back to live our lives into the future. Amen? So let's come to the table tonight and uh, prepare our hearts for the fast. Let's pray.